Let us turn now for the scripture reading to Genesis chapter 12, verses 4 through 20. 4 through 20 of Genesis chapter 12. Beginning to read then with verse 4, hear now the word of the Lord. Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants will I give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain west of Bethel, or east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beauty, a beautiful countenance. Therefore it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is my wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, that I may, that I may live because of you. So it was when Abraham came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful, as the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abraham well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarah Abram's wife. And as Pharaoh called, and, and Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded, commanded his men concerning him, and they sent them away with his wife, and all that he had. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. Well, the title of the sermon this morning is Truth and the Family. It's a story about Abraham going to Egypt, well, Abraham leaving Haran and going to Canaan, the land of Canaan, and then to the land of Egypt. But all along the way, we see these, these great events. We see God speaking with Abram, directing him where he should go, and then we see the difficulties that come upon him, and we see ultimately this this incident with Egypt 
And with Abraham um, lying or getting Sarah to lie for him, uh, for his protection. And so it's a, it's a tremendously interesting story. But what I want you to realize or to think about is that this is uh, related to the, the, the core of the story is related to God's truth, both in the both in his providential direction of Abraham into the land and then this incident with Egypt. It has to do with God's truth. And God's truth has a lot to do with our families. We may think in our families that, that we, we have to think, first of all, about A, B, C, D. Uh, we may have to think about our finances. We may have to think about uh, our house, our property, the leaks on our roof, all of these kinds of things. We may think that we, we have a thousand things to think about in terms of our family. We have to worry about children. We have to think about our husbands and our wives. We have to think about our larger families and their relationships. So there are lots of, there are dozens of things to think about regarding our families. As you think about all these things, where in your thinking, where in your thinking uh, is the spot or the area where you behold the truth and you think about the truth of God and your family? What time do you give that? Because we see here from the story that it is of great consequence. Our minds can be twisted this way and that way or driven this way and that way. God, God speaks of uh, sifting us or having us blown about by the wind this way and that way. So God knows all about this. God in his providence commands the powers and the incidents of our lives that drive us this way and that way. So if we do not understand something about God's truth, if we don't have um, a, 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 a weather vane, as it were, in our hearts to determine which way the wind is blowing, if we don't have a, a compass that tells us where magnetic north is, where the truth is according to the God's word, then we're at a great disadvantage. Because our minds and our hearts are veritable uh, machines or manufacturing machines for foolishness, mistakes, and idolatry. And so we see this worked out in the first family here in the book of Genesis uh, as, it, as, God, as God moves on from Adam and his clan and his progeny to the great patriarch Abraham who became the archetype of Christ as he would bring Christendom into this world. And so we see in your bulletin, you see first that I have five points there, four points arising from the scripture, and then the fifth are the lessons that we draw from this that we ought to take into consideration. And so first of all, we see in this passage, I call it situation normal, peril and faith. Situation normal, peril and faith. I think all of us have the desire to have peace and um, kind of a bountiful life here in this world. And God himself holds out some word pictures for us. He calls Israel a land of milk and honey, even though there were a lot of tribulations there. And he wants us to be hopeful despite the negativities of our lives. Sometimes we think that we are more sane and more responsible if we take a dour look at life because of the difficulties. And so it turns us into old curmudgeons, 
a fancy word that means just an old grumpy guy. And sometimes we think, well, that's that's, that's a more godly. I'm I'm being realistic. I'm not be, I'm not letting my heart be inflated or infected by the fanciful hopes that I might cast upon this life. No, I'm being realistic. Well, God doesn't want you to be realistic in that way. He wants you to, to think of him as the great God who will sustain you, and he wants you to know that you're going to a land of milk and honey. He wants you to have some of these other positive metaphors of the scriptures, these pictures that God paints of us for us, uh, him tabernacling with us despite whatever the world brings to us. He's with us. He's in our midst. These great word pictures. He wants us to be optimistic and he wants us to be hopeful, but... Uh, this is against the backdrop of a difficult life. And uh, we see this in, with Abraham. Abraham, we, we focused on this last week, how God was taking Abraham away from his securities, his larger clan there in Haran, that they had moved from Ur of the Chaldees, which is modern Iran, I mean Iraq and Babylon, uh, or ancient Babylon, he had had them move from the from the east or the center part of Iraq to the western part where um, Haran was. And then once they were there, the, the larger family, then God spoke specifically to Abraham and stirred him up to go from Haran to where he would take him. He didn't tell him where he was going to take him exactly, but he said, follow me. And so Abraham did that. But that's, that's a difficult situation as I talked last week. That's not easy. Uh, we, we prayed for the Claustons today because they're in this gigantic move from Tennessee up here to Ohio. <clears throat> it's not easy. And then in addition to the move, then they encountered other things like famines and th sort of those things like that. <clears throat> so in verse 4, that says, Abraham departed as the Lord had uh, spoken to him. And you know here how the, the Bible tells us it, it reminds us that a Abraham moved because God had spoken to him. So God's truth was broadcast to Abraham, and Abraham responded to it. We may, we may be literal prophets like Abraham where God speaks to us, or we may, we may be um, followers of the prophet, and we, we have the prophecy in the Bible, and we may follow the Bible. So this is, this is a, an indirect prophecy. It's not the word that the prophet speaks, but it's the, his word written down. But Abraham, regardless, followed that. He, he When God spoke, he did what God said to do. And that was, that was really remarkable. <clears throat> it says Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So this is not making this trip as a youngster. Um, as a man of 20 or 30, robust with strength. Now, people lived older, uh, longer in those years, um, uh, providentially by the Lord. So I, I assume that Abraham had more uh, strength and stamina than I have. I'm about the same age that he was when he was called to do this. Uh, but nonetheless, he was not a young man. And it says that Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. Now, in this this uh, this age, it was an agrarian age, but if you compare uh, a, a, a culture based on agriculture to a culture based on business that we have today, 
This would be akin to saying Abraham took his company, that all the people that were attracted to his company, with him. So if you were a, a large landowner and um, you had many herds and flocks and that sort of thing, you'd have a tremendous uh, need for manpower to make that enterprise go. And so Abraham had accrued to himself this large gathering, much like a, a successful company, hires more and more people and they draw more and more people into themselves that way. So this is this is the picture of Abraham as he leaves um, as he leaves um, Haran uh, to go to Canaan. And it says um, uh, they departed to go, this is in verse uh, 5, they departed to go to the land of Canaan, so they came to the land of Canaan. Now this is a long way, like I said, this is like going from here to Cleveland in terms of distance. It's a long, it's a long drive. It, it takes us about six hours to drive that distance uh, to northeast um, Ohio. And um, we're, we're going at 70 miles an hour or so uh, based upon modern travel abilities and speeds and that sort of thing. These people were walking, so it took a lot longer to make that trip for them. Um, but they passed, uh, they, as they came into the land, God must have communicated to them that this was the land he was talking about. And But, he, but Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, which is uh, in the south. It's... Uh, it's uh, somewhat in the same area as Jerusalem, but a little bit south of there, as far as the uh, terebinth tree of Morah. And it says then that the Canaanites were in the land. So Abraham, was a no, he was a nomad at this time. He was walking with this large group of people, this large caravan. and uh, But this was not entirely uh, abnormal in that age. But even so... There were people that were in the land. So as God told him, this is your land, he, he looked about and he saw that there were already people there. And so it must have passed through his mind. Uh, I have, there's a lot of mysteries that lie, lie, lie ahead of me. I wonder how God will do this. Or I wonder how I will get this land without getting, without getting killed. And I wonder about the justice of it and all of those kinds of things. Then in verse, um, in verse 7, it says, uh, God says more of his word, more of his truth. He pierced to Abram and said, Your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Now he builds two altars. He builds one altar on the west and he builds one altar to the east. Now this is very significant because it shows that Abraham's faith, his, uh, his view of God and his worship of God were really important. That he had learned that from the Lord. This didn't come from Abraham's brain but it came from his relationship to the Lord as it existed at that point. But it showed that wherever Abraham moved, he, he built a place to worship the Lord. It shows that worship was at the core of Abraham's life. Uh, God enabled Abraham to grow to be this wealthier man based upon these commitments. Some people can't see how they could possibly tithe today. Uh, you know, the, the the unbeliever doesn't tithe. How can I give 10% of my salary to God's cause? First through the local church. How can I do that? How, how can, how, well, Abraham was doing the same thing, you see. He had a commitment to the Lord. He didn't just move into an area and build his own houses. He built a, an altar where he could uh, sacrifice animals. This is before the 
Mosaic covenant, the Mosaic ordinations of animal sacrifice, but we, we realize that there were there were there was revelation that Abraham had from Noah and from Adam, and, uh, and so he was uh, he was applying these things even in this era. So this gives us the the basic uh, his basic the, the basic setting for the family. He moved his family. They were in this new area. They probably went to a place uh, between Shechem and Ai. Uh, the, the, this was a place that was not the richest area of Israel, obviously, because the more fertile areas were already settled. So these were areas where Abraham um, had to struggle some, but he could make a living. He could the the the, the animals could be sustained. And they could begin to set up a shop there in Egypt. So uh, we see, first of all, that the family, in this picture, the family uh, has to go through a certain amount of trials and difficulties. And they are definitely not an easy street. God's family, God has higher purposes for us than mere uh, pleasure or uh, prosperity. God has a plan. For us, it involves our spirits, our spirituality, our understanding, our minds, but it also applies to our bodies and um, and our prosperity in the flesh, as it were. But it, it develops in strange ways because he does this through difficulties, uh, and uh, that's what I call the situation normal. Now, secondly, here we see in verse ten that things got worse. <laughs> Uh, life was all already uh, somewhat tenuous. It, it was um, it was somewhat novel, and he had things to discover. And there wasn't the things that the places the place where he went. It was not the routine. It was not things that he was used to. Everything was new. But then things got worse. It says in verse ten. Now there was a famine in the land. And so Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there. Now, we don't, it doesn't tell us that God told Abraham to go there. It doesn't tell us whether Abraham was using his common sense. Uh, we know that, the, like in the days of Joseph, when there was a, a famine on the land, that the word had gone out through the Middle East, that they had, they had food in Egypt. Egypt, uh, the, Egypt's, the Nile area was a breadbasket in a sense. So oftentimes when there are famines in the Middle East, uh, Egypt was a place where you could get food. So we don't know whether Adam, I mean, Abraham just found this out, or we don't know whether God spoke to him again. It doesn't tell us here. But whatever the reason, we see in verse 10, there's a famine in the land, so Abraham goes down to Egypt. So we see here, all of this is by providence. All of this is by God's care. And what we see is that providence doesn't always take us in the easy direction. We believe in providence that God ordains uh, uh, and, and uh, administers all that he creates and all that, all that uh, he sustains. But we see that this is not uh, easy street, as it were. And I think a lot of Christians are kind of disturbed by this. They, they learn about God's providence, but then when providence takes them into difficult places, they can't understand that, and they, they sometimes it, it throws them. And they even give up their faith. They think, well, if God is going to take care of me this way, then I no longer want the Lord. Uh, harsh providences either create greater faith in us or they tend to erode our faith. 
In this case, uh, Abraham uh, went to Egypt, but he had more problems there. In verse 11, we see that he uh, deals with this problem of having a very beautiful wife named Sarah. And um, it's sort of interesting here because Abraham was a very smart man. They didn't teach psychology courses at the local uni back in that day. But, Sarah, but Abraham understood uh, feminine beauty. He understood he had he understood it was rare, first of all. He understood he had it. He understood that other men uh, would want to take it. And so as he travels, he's thinking he's worrying about Sarah, his wife, that she was so pretty and so attractive that she would be noticed by the men of the land. Now it's it's somewhat remarkable here, because this is this is Abraham's fear. But it turns out to be very insightful. <laughs> Abraham was right. Uh, he, it, he wasn't just a, a husband who was besotted with the, the, the femininity of his wife. You know, that she had a big carbuncle on her forehead or her cheek or something, and he just saw past it. No, uh, this woman was really beautiful. And, uh, and so he was afraid of it, but then it turned... I mean, can you imagine coming... In a band of people to a land like Egypt, and then having the, the some of the ministers of the land tell the king of the land, this group has entered our land, and there's an especially beautiful woman that's a part of the band. Can you imagine that? You'd think that the king would be all up, all taken up with the, his normal affairs, his normal drudgery, his normal responsibilities, whatever that this would be just an incidental, another incidental person passing through his land. But no. Uh, this, the, as soon as they get there, the word spreads. It's like, like you know, Marilyn Monroe has just landed, <laughs> Pharaoh, and we've got great-looking women here in Egypt, but you should see the woman that just arrived with his caravan under the command of Abraham. And so uh, Pharaoh, operating with the autocracy of a king in that day, he brought, he brought uh, uh, Sarah to his house, but evidently did not uh, immediately force himself upon her, uh, having sexual relations, but he brought, he brought her and the, the rest of the crew there to the, near the castle, and then he, but he wanted her there. The, I think his idea was obviously that he was going to cultivate her for one of his wives. The the, the, the kings of that day had all the power. They were autocrats. There was only one power, and it was them. And, um, and so in terms of uh, having women, they could have as many as they, as they wanted. And uh, it looks like uh, Sarah uh, was, uh, was on the main table there, ready to be served up as, uh, as a main meal. And but but he the she uh, Abraham told her to lie to to tell everybody that she was his sister so that they would not uh, want to kill him so that they could take her. <clears throat> now this is where Abraham had a big problem with truth because that was not the truth. And how do we deal with the truth in our day in our lives in our families? How how do we? How do we handle it when we're worried about our circumstances? This shows that Abraham's fears were warranted, and yet his deed was not. 
Abraham could have handled this in a number of other ways. And ultimately, by God, by, by what God does, we can see that he just didn't trust God to help him in these circumstances. We may not trust God to help us in our circumstances today. We may look at the, the pagan government we have, and we may think, well, it's just a, a totally unrighteous. I need to I need to start hiding assets, and I need whatever I report on my income taxes, I need to report that one way, even though it's not true. You know, we, we, we may think we've got to do this and we've got to do that in order to survive. But what God wants us to understand is that he's always there, and he is always uh, taking care of the circumstances, which is point four. God wants us to understand that he can take care of us. Now, if Abraham had gone into this faithfully, he, he, he could have thought the same thoughts. He could have thought, um, this is my dear wife, Sarah. He could have, in his mind's eye, he might have, he might have thought of the, the touch of her skin. He might have thought of the, the, the look in her eyes. When he looked into her eyes, they were bright. They were full of love for him. And he could have worried about that. He could have, he could have thought, what will happen to us? What will happen to me? What will happen if this, this king simply by force takes my wife from me? She will be a slave and I will probably be dead. What can I do? Well, you see, at that, at that time, he, he should have known that he worshipped the God of the plague, that he worshipped the God of all power. In, the, in this case, Abraham's in, in God operates in, Abraham, in the realm of Abraham's unfaith or faithlessness. But could not God have worked in the, in the area of Abraham's faith? What if Abraham had simply said in his mind, I worship the God of, of, uh, of the living God and God can take care of me. God has brought me to this place. God's providence, the very providence is that brought me to this place. I can't see the answer, but God will be there. I will do everything I can to um, take care of the situation. I might have had my wife dressed like an Islamic woman in our modern day. Even though I, I think they did have veils and shawls and things like that, but evidently uh, Pharaoh could see enough of Sarah to know that he wanted to bring her to the palace. But having, that having been said, Abraham could have had more faith he could have realized that God could bring a famine or whatever he needed to bring. God could have just worked in Pharaoh's mind. You know, the, the world can look at us and they can see a poor thing or they can see a rich thing. They can see a, a beautiful thing or they can see uh, a not beautiful thing. So God could have simply managed Pharaoh's eyes or the eyes of his, his, uh, his ministers. Or in this case, he could have brought famine on the land. So he did. He brought famine on the land, and it was a, it was severe enough, and it was obvious enough. As soon as as soon as Sarah came into the house, and God read Pharaoh's evil mind, the famine began. It clicked with Pharaoh. Why are we having this famine? Well, I think it's I I do see a relationship here between my lust after this woman and the arrival of the famine, the arrival of the woman the arrival of the famine. He probably put it on his mind for a number of days or even weeks. I, you know, okay, that's possible, but it's not, you know, it's not really true. I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to pay attention to that. But as the famine got worse and worse, he began to make inquiries. And somehow Pharaoh found out that Sarah was not his real, uh, his sister, but his wife. And then, even though Pharaoh didn't have the revelation of God, he had enough uh, natural revelation to know that he was trying to steal another man's wife. This was all working in Pharaoh's mind. So then he brings, he brings Abraham and he says, what have you done to me? You know, you, I, I could have taken her as my wife. And then you know, in his mind, he must have thought, you know, God, God would have thrashed me about like some wild beast and I would be dead. And so in a sense, Pharaoh's latter day ethics are sharper than Abraham's. The world, the world had a greater ethic or a greater sensitivity to right and wrong than, than Abraham did in an ironic and sorrowful kind of a way. So Pharaoh, Pharaoh realizes, now Pharaoh's realization is by brute force because God is strangling his land, strangling the court and his land with this epidemic. So Pharaoh wasn't doing this out of the good of his own heart, but Pharaoh, God made Pharaoh understand something. He got it through to Pharaoh that, that uh, Abraham's wife was special, that Abraham was special, and that he was antagonizing someone whom God had his hand upon. And so uh, he pushes Pharaoh out uh, the door, basically. Uh, he, it says in verse 20, So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Uh, and uh, he, he sent them away. They were, they were alive. Uh, they, were, they must have been endowed with food enough to survive on their way. So... Um, we see that this is certainly a story about theology. This is certainly a story about God's providence, about the difficulties of life, about telling the truth and about living by the truth and not mincing the truth, not pretending that the truth is not the truth. Certainly a story about all of that, but it's especially a story about the family and this. We have the responsibility, brothers and sisters, and we have the reality that in our lives, in our family's life, we negotiate truth and falsity every day of our lives in one way or another. And truth is often worked out the most fundamental fulcrum or the most fundamental cauldron where the, the wheat might be ground out, the mortar and the pestle and that sort of thing. The most fundamental place is the family. What are we teaching our children about the living God and his truth? Are we raising it up? Are we putting light on it? Or are we confusing our children or darkening the truth around our children? You see, these things are very important. God uses the family like a, an incubator for the next generation. And, the, and our children can be incubated unto reprobation and death, or they can be incubated unto life, eternal life even, faith and life. And so this is a great responsibility in all of us, and all of the all of the children here, the boys and the girls. You'll sometimes you'll someday be a husband and a wife, or a wife. No, not both. <laughs> but you will sometimes have that responsibility. And God wants you to remember some of these stories that you heard in your youth about the mistakes of Abraham, so that you will not make those mistakes. It's very hard sometimes when your wife wants. Something, and you as a husband just feel like that is a major mistake. 
it'll be a mistake for the family. Or maybe you as a husband think something, and your wife comes to you and says, Honey, I just I think that we're going in the wrong direction. Where is our piety? Where is our faith? Where is our love of God? And we need, when we, when we stir each other up like that, we need to hear the, the voice of God coming, speaking through our consciences, either one or the other. And you kids will be in that place someday yourself. How will you make decisions? And it's going to come, believe me, it's going to come faster than you can imagine. And, and uh, before the blink of an eye, you're going to be an old grandpa like me working and praying and worrying about the next generation and the next generation after that to come. So you can either start to get these things set in your mind. Abraham was directed by God, and yet he had these troubles. He had these problems. In terms of the, the lessons here, we see that, um, that we're always in danger. We should not find dangers uh, strange. And that God, number two, God will ultimately take care of us, and we have to behave as if this were true. It has tremendous consequences. Uh, I've quoted for you before one of my favorite memory verses, Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God will deliver them from them all. Think about it. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray that you would apply these things to our lives. We pray that the great story of Abraham, that the great man that Abraham was, he was learning at the same time we read this scripture, he was learning at that time how to be a better man. He was taken from Ur of the Chaldees to Haran. And you were mentoring him, O Lord. You were discipling him, just like Jesus did the twelve. And it's an amazing story how the, the scripture is not ashamed to tell these really bad stories about thy patriarchs, thy leaders of the church. Bless us, O Lord, with the strength that the later Abraham had that the earlier Abraham did not. Bless us, O Lord, that we might learn these learn by these stories rather than by doing these ill deeds ourselves. Bless us with faith to trust in thy word and in thy truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.